New York Artist Collective. Hi there and welcome to the New York Artist Collective podcast this next one's about. If you haven't checked out this podcast before, well, welcome to the show. So the New York Artist Collective is a songwriter circle and we produce shows in New York City with three songwriters in a Nashville style round. And this podcast takes one of our artists and asks them to take us backstage one of their songs, the creative process and how it became the song we're going to hear a little later on in the show. My name is Stephanie Manns. I myself am a singer-songwriter from Scotland, not New York City, but now based here. And I'm also one of the New York Artist Collective producers. And today's guest is Stephen Babcock, singer-songwriter from New York. And he's got an Americana country vibe, and today he's going to tell us about his song 5A. Stephen, Stephen Babcock, welcome uh, to my gracious studio um, that, that is my apartment. Um, it's really lovely to have you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So um, let's, get, let's get right to it. Let's talk about your song. So you, you want to talk about your song 5A. Yep. Um, that's the song I submitted for the, the podcast. It's uh, one of my favorites. Um, it's on a new record I put out just a few months ago called Fiction. And the song 5A is one of the first songs I wrote for the record. Um, it's originally uh, it was supposed to be a love song, uh, but the person I wrote it about ended up ended up falling out. So um, we were talking earlier before the podcast started about how sometimes on stage you can only kind of explain some of the song or some brief snippets and then kind of get to the the music portion of it, the, you know, everything. Um, and I always say this is a song about when you miss somebody's parents more than you miss the person you hmm. dated. And the reality was is that in this particular case, um, the girl that I had been with at the time, uh, I had had a really nice relationship with her mother in that we got along very well and we had a lot of similar interests. And I remember we would, we were driving one time, I think to Jacksonville when I had gone to visit uh, my girlfriend at the time in Florida and her family was from Florida as well. And we were driving, and her mother and I were talking for like an hour or whatever in the car about just various things, and it was really entertaining. And I was like, when, when the relationship that I had fell apart, I was like, wow, I'm really going to miss this person's you know, parents. And I, I'd never really felt that way before when I dated somebody. Their parents were always kind of like on a periphery. And maybe that's me getting older. You know, I'm 26, almost 27 now, so it's like as I get older and experience more things that maybe I identify more with someone's parents. I don't know, but... It was such an interesting experience, and so I thought that'd be such a cool idea to put in a song. I find that most people—I've never heard a song about something like that, really. Or maybe, maybe there's snippets of something like that in a song, but to make it kind of like the heart of a message of a song, um, I thought was really interesting and really different. And so I thought, why not? And I went for it. And I—it's one of my favorite songs. It was one of the first ones we recorded. Again, it was one of the first ones I wrote for the record. So it really, uh, it stands out to me, and it's personally, even live, is one of my favorite ones to play. So all around, it's just something that I yeah. I still hold on to and really, really love. Yeah, I remember you played this at the, the songwriters round that you did with us um, a couple of months ago, and it was, it was lovely. It was a really nice song. But it's an interesting idea, and... You know, when you break up with somebody, there is... I, I always talk about it as the kind of the divorce settlement. Sure. And who gets the friends and, you know, yeah. all of that stuff. And I think that it's totally part of it. You know, it was interesting. Um, she's also was younger than me, so our friends were somewhat different but somewhat the same. And it was interesting how when we broke up, some of my friends would... You know, you see it like they're still friends on like Instagram or something and... You know, then you're like, oh, what is that? And then, you know, as you get older, you kind of like, or as time goes on, you kind of just forget about those things. But it is true, you know, you kind of, when things leave and things fall apart, you know, in that kind of quote unquote, you know, divorce settlement, and you know, to think it's somebody's parents, you know, to lose out on them 
instead of the person you were actually with you know I think about that a lot it's like it's just so funny that that was one of those things it wasn't oh you know this is my favorite place and you can't come here anymore or these are my friends and you can't hang out with them anymore it was like man I really wish I could talk to your mom but I just can't anymore mm-hmm. and so it was like it's so silly but it's so true um, does, does her mother know about this all? You know, I don't know. I'm, I haven't spoken to the person uh, since we broke up, so I have no idea. But I, I kind of hope that she has heard it. I, maybe just one time. I don't. I doubt that she would listen to it more than once, but I could certainly see it kind of appearing or coming up. Just because, as I'm sure many musicians know, and anyone who just uses Spotify knows, if you follow someone on Spotify, you'll hear about all their new stuff and new things. And I couldn't remember. I I, I don't know. I you know I don't. I haven't looked through my entire list of followers on Spotify, but I know that when we had started dating, I know she kind of said, "Everyone follow, check it out," you know. Um, and so I don't know if she is or not, but it, I hope she did. I hope she heard it one time, um, at least for a laugh, you know, or something. It would be an interesting way to take it. So. Mm-hmm. It's always funny when people hear songs that you've written about them and their reactions to it and what you hope their reactions might be. And yeah, It's so interesting because I think more often than not when I write a song um, for somebody, uh, my what I think they're going to feel or take away from it is always wrong. Is always they always take away something totally you know different or you know if I make a love song for somebody they're going to be like, "Oh, well, thanks." And it's like you you want them to be like, "Oh, I'm so moved by this." Or if you write like a a song that you just like I don't really care and some people will like will be like, "Oh, that was like one of the best things I've ever heard. Thank you so much." And it's just it's there's a a quote uh, from a musician I love who was talking about he always says the public knows better than you you're the songwriter and you, and maybe you know you know your songs well but what's going to hit or what's going to make sense to the listener the listener is smarter than you when it comes to that you're never going to be able to outsmart them and i thought that was so interesting because it's really true you know at the end of the day um, as a songwriter as i'm sure you know you write songs for you and you write songs to get what you have to say out but everyone else takes their own message away even if it's not a romantic song or a love song or anything like that the message that people pull from stuff stuff like that is always um ever changing you know and it, it you know today it could be one thing and tomorrow it could be something else and somebody you know across the world could feel something that someone in new york city doesn't ever think about so it's so interesting that way too it's all about relating sure and I think that that is you know when your message hits home for somebody else and it means something very personal to them it obviously isn't going to mean the same as it means to you but to me that is that is powerful songwriting yes and that's the beauty of songwriting I think is that it can mean so much to so many people Mm -hmm. there's not just you know it's not just black and white and that's that's what makes music great. That's what makes being a songwriter great is having the opportunity to say a message or say how you feel or say something, anything, and get wildly different results. It's not a math equation. You know, it's certainly, I mean, not that we didn't know music is art, but it's certainly art. It's certainly um, something that is just really interpretive in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's take a listen. This is 5A by Stephen Babcock. She was an hourglass, but she could spare no time She was so stubborn, she'd break this heart of mine All of the words, well, why do we have to say goodbye? 
asking the truth under her alibi. Well, won't you tell me something I wanna hear that, honey? Won't you tell me something I wanna hear? Oh, well, and she lives up in five a, thinking she never does. Yeah, you know, it's and it's one of those things where I like um, very much the uh, writing ring songs that are maybe have a depressing or kind of a sadder message, but they tend to be upbeat in flavor and in kind of sonic 
you know, quality. I think originally growing up, I really loved the band Bell and Sebastian, and I thought they were such an interesting uh, band, mainly because they would write these really sad lyrical songs, but they would be very bright and upbeat, and it's very interesting, just like an old, um, uh, like an old 60s band. So it was very interesting and very different. And um, I don't know, I just really, I really fell in love with that. And so I think with 5A, I always tried to um, capture that moment and capture that flavor, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what was, um, you were just saying as well, that it's, because it's, I said, that, oh, it's very upbeat and it's very, you know, and you said, oh, well, you know, there's, it's, it's sort of in a minor. Um, was, that, was that deliberate? Um, I don't. I, I want to say that it is. That would make me sound really smart, and like I really know what I'm doing. Um, but I don't think it was. I think, like anything with with songwriting and the process, uh, it just kind of start playing chords and start trying to figure out progressions and things that I like or don't like or whatever. And then as those kind of come alive, uh, I'll start to add lyrics to them. Mm-hmm. And I think this just kind of lent itself. Where I found those chords, you know, together the E minor, the G, and the C. Uh, in this way, uh, and then just kind of started adding the lyrics, and they kind of, the lyrics maybe were informed by the the music, but it wasn't it wasn't intentional. Again, I wish I could say I did that on purpose. I came out from the jump, you know, trying to do that, but I just it just kind of happened that way. It's funny. One question I always get asked is, um, what happens first for you? Whether it's the the idea for the song, whether it's the the, the lyrics, or whether it's the chords. Yeah, it's the the classic songwriter, chicken mm. or the egg. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it's always. I mean, yeah, always music. Um, I always. I'm a really big fan of Donovan Woods, and I was listening to, or watching something he was saying about on Instagram, he was like posting a bunch about how he writes songs, and he was like, I sometimes build this type lyrics into a note on my iPhone and um, I thought that was really cool and I tried doing that um, but those songs just sit there like on the shelf and they never really get pulled off and when I sit when I sit with my guitar um, I try to pull them out but it, for me the music needs to come first mainly because it gives me a framing for how long the verses can be and like in a sense of meter like how many words I can fit into each part and if I just write words out it's not necessarily the, the same it doesn't the song won't necessarily come together because that might be trying to cram words in. Mm-hmm. It requires more editing. Yeah. I mean, I've written songs like that, but they never get, I never show them or I never play them. Um, they're never ones that I'm like, oh, yeah, I love this. Whereas the ones that always I always end up playing are always the ones that I sit down and yeah. I write maybe in an hour and then I'm like, wow, that was great. And they just kind of fall out, yeah. you know? I always find it interesting when people work with, sorry, they work together, you know, for instance, like Elton John, um, you know, he writes the music and... Bernie Taupin. Thank you very much. Bernie Taupin <coughs> writes um, the lyrics, yeah. and I find it very interesting that they write completely separately in different rooms. Yeah, and I, it's so strange. Um, like I can't imagine what that would be like for for me if somebody was like, "Hey, yeah, you just get the chords down. I'll send you all the words, and we'll just figure it out later, mm-hmm. or we'll figure it out piecemeal in that way." Yeah, I can't imagine. I just, I mean, I always considered myself more of a lyrical songwriter than a you know musical one in the sense that I'm not an excellent guitar player, and I. I'll be the first to tell you. Um, I don't you know a whole lot about you know the guitar itself, but I can play, and I think I'm like an intermediate player and can get up, get by. But I couldn't just like you know sit there and just make lyrics or just make music. I'd have to kind of do it together. It kind of gives it 
yeah. the charm that way, I guess, or the whatever. Well, that's what, you know, in country music, they call three chords and the truth. There you go. I mean, that's yeah. that's about the long and the short of it there. So, <laughs> Quite. Um, speaking of country music, so uh, you were saying you were going to Nashville fairly soon to do some shows. Yep, I'll be uh, in Nashville uh, the week of November 12th uh, through the 15th. It feels like I'm, I'm there a lot now, uh, more and more every uh passing day it seems like but uh, I'm, I have some shows there I have a show with my very good friend from New York uh, who lives in Nashville now Luca DeFabio we have a show at the local uh, at 9pm and then on the 13th that was that's Monday the, the 12th and then on the 13th of November I'll be at the basement playing New Faces Night um, which starts around 8 o'clock uh, in Nashville uh, it's just it's so funny to me it's the more I go the more the shows just start it's kind of like New York in that way is that the more you are here or there or whatever, you know, whatever town you're in, the more you're there, the more shows, thing, things start popping up and mm-hmm. people start, you know, saying hi and then you kind of just build the network that way. But yeah. those are the little tidbits for stuff coming up in Nashville. And you started off in terms of your musical career in New York. Yes. So, uh, I mean, technically I'm from upstate New York. I'm from a town called New Hartford, New York, which is near Syracuse or Utica. Uh, New York, and uh, I started writing songs there kind of in high school, and then I went to Syracuse University, um, and then at that point, I, I guess my songwriting started to grow a little bit, but my kind of cutting my teeth was here in New York City, uh, mainly at Cafe Vivaldi, which is unfortunately oh, since yeah, closed. Um, I went there originally when I was 19, when I was still in college, and I went up, I studied abroad, quote-unquote, in New York for a semester while I was at Syracuse, doing some things in New York City, and kind of fell in love with Catherine Vivaldi. It just kind of informed me as a writer and as a player. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I left, I went back to school to finish up college because uh, I was only here for like three months. I, I finished college, came back to New York as a after like a final stint in London, um, which was brief, albeit brief, but very, very nice. Um, and then I came to New York, and I've been in New York ever since. And that's mm-hmm. kind of Catherine Vivaldi cut my teeth there. Obviously, you know Rockwood Music Hall, which is where I did the yeah. the songwriters round, but also just a lot of shows with um, some great guys uh, that are part of my band uh, that we share. Actually, yeah, we actually have the same sure band. Um, <clears throat> those guys are some of the best players in New York that I've ever met. So yeah. I'm very lucky to call them bandmates. But um, yeah, at, New York's always kind of been the starting ground or the you know the breeding grounds for my music at least mm-hmm. and would, I mean would you describe yourself as Americana is that fair to say yes I would say certainly Americana I always say southern pop or, but I don't I think the, the more I write and the more I play the more I get away from the poppiness of it mm-hmm. songs like 5A have some pop flavor but they're certainly more twinged with country and Americana and, and that vibe and the stuff that I I keep listening to you know more and more is certainly Americana it's mm-hmm. like through and through so I mean, there's definitely a market for that in New York, um, and I think what we were just saying earlier is obviously there is a market, there is an audience for it, um, but I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of the way that um, it grows from a grassroots level in New York versus the way that it might be able to grow from, a, obviously, from a grassroots level in, in Nashville, mm-hmm. um, I think the two are very different, and I think the number of venues to support yeah. that are, are a bit different. I think that's very true. I think New York... Uh, has so much to offer. I think my friend uh, was telling me, my friend Luca was saying, you know, in New York, you know, everything is special. So in the end, nothing can really be truly special because there's so much that's popular. Um, And by that, I mean, there's all kinds of music, 
but unfortunately Americana is not the type of music in New York I think um, I mean that's my own opinion but I find that a lot of songwriters feel that way too you know there's a lot of pop music there's hip hop music there's a lot of electronic music dance music um, I feel know. like it tends to be a lot younger in and that yes a lot sense. a lot yeah. younger I would say you know um, certainly you know your NYU crowds and things like that whereas the Americana venues um, there's such there's only a, so many of them so Things like Rockwood, or we were saying Pete's Candy Store in Brooklyn, maybe, or you City, know, Winery. City, Wi- City Winery. Um, you know, those venues uh, tend to have great Americana acts come through, or whether they're really big or just kind of you know starting out. But there, you know, those venues are so few and far between that if you think about a place like Nashville, it's like you could see Americana music any night of the week, country music obviously any night of the week. Um, whereas you might it might be more of anom- an anomaly, though it's changing a lot to see you know rock music or pop music or electronic music. Yeah, that stuff still exists in Nashville, but in New York, it's I think a larger foothold than it would be like in a place like Nashville. And so they're they're very almost like op- yin and yang, you know, or opposites of each other in that kind of yeah. Americana versus other genres of music, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I would also say probably that. I think in New York there is probably a higher demand for covers music, um, and I think in Nashville it might be fair to say that I think there's probably more original music that's going on night after night. Sure, I think with Nashville, well, there's always yeah, any city, even yeah. New York or Boston, is always going to have you know I I think Boston because every time I go to Boston it's always covers, 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 covers. Usually Irish, ba- Irish, Irish bands, but also you know bands that just you know because Aerosmith came out of there and that, that's like the last to me the last big Boston band that broke. And there, I could be wrong, but thinking about bands that came out of Boston that were that are, you know really made a yeah. scene, you know, or really made you know exploded, Boston or, or New York, there's a lot of cover music. In Nashville, there's a lot of cover music covers, you know, covers music, covers band, cover bands, excuse me. Um, but they're all in one area. They're all on Broadway. Mm-hmm. They're all playing honky tonks, and you get away from that, and there's just like this huge explosion of music that um, you know the East Nashville, which is pretty much obviously the Brooklyn of Nashville, it has going on, and then you've got other parts of you know downtown or central Nashville that have you know bands playing. They also have a city city winery in Nashville. There's just a lot of options. You have Third Man Records out there, kind of supporting burgeoning artists. And you know, kind of, especially rock acts, but just anything really that's good. Mm-hmm. Nashville, I like too, because if you're really good, or at least the, it gives the impression to a hopeful young songwriter like myself that in Nashville, if you're good, you'll be heard. Mm-hmm. There's so many good ways to get heard, so that it just feels like you can get heard. Sometimes in New York, it can be difficult because again, there's so many people and so many things, and you're fighting up up a huge stream that's just been here forever. Mm-hmm. So it can be difficult to stand out, and it's always, I think the way you attack that is by constantly doing everything. You know, it's, and I think sometimes as a songwriter or the, I guess the social media guru hmm. that you hear is always like, you know, don't oversaturate your market, don't overdo it, <clears throat> excuse me, don't, you know, don't push yourself so much, you know, you gotta give your fans a little bit and then come back and whatever, but I think there's a delicate balance there, but I think more often than not, I've found um, the more you do in New York, the more um, and the more like you can advertise as a you know as your you know brand so to speak, you can really make inroads. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, it's one of those things where I think it's, it's that's a different. I mean, where it's different in the cities too. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's on the horizon for you? 
Um, just put it, obviously, I just put a single out actually um, on Spotify called The Guy That Says Goodbye to You Is Out of His Mind. It's a cover song of oh, a, I like that one. Of a yeah. cover song of a Griffin House song. Um, I had originally heard that song at my first ever concert when I was 15 years old at Hamilton College. Um, I went uh, and I met Griffin House actually at the show. It was very, very nice. And I heard that song and I just fell in love with it. And he signed a CD of mine that I bought of, you know, it was his CD, but I bought it and he signed it. And, um, and he was just so genuine and so kind. And so that really inspired me and I really loved that. And so I started to play that song live at shows and it became a thing where people always thought that I had written it. And I was like, well, no, I didn't write it. It's Griffin House, but I love this song and I play it like it's mine, even though it's not. And I, you know, always give like the disclaimer, like, hey, this, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those things where it was so popular and people kept asking for it that they were like, well, where can I hear it? And they would tell me that after shows. And I said, well, why don't I just record it? So I went to Nashville and just made a cut of it. Just, you know, simple acoustic cut. And it's kind of exactly how I play it live. I never play it with the band. I have a band that I play with that under, under my name. But, you know, we never do that song as a band because I, I, I think it takes away from the message, which it, that song is so beautifully written and so wonderful to play and just... I always like to do it that way, so it only makes sense that in the recording it kept it that way. Um, but in any case, um, that song is now on Spotify under Stephen Babcock, and then it, you'll see the song right there. It's, it should be at the top at this point. It's a brand new single, came out a few weeks ago. And then also have a record called Fiction, which obviously our song, the song 5A um, earlier is, um, is from that record, and that's out also on Spotify. And then hopefully in 2019, uh, I'll be able to uh, create a new record, whether I do it here in New York or Nashville or somewhere, some other location. Um, certainly looking to record that in 2019 and get that out hopefully before the end of the year in 2019. Um, and just more shows, constantly touring. I have a tour that's kind of semi-booked for January, uh, which will bring me right back down to the southeast where it seems like I, I pretty much live down in the southeast even though I live here in New York. So... Um, for folks that are over in that region, you know, I'll be down there in that time mm-hmm. for January 2019. And also, I think, um, and maybe you have some insight into this too, I think, or feeling, but um, I feel like in November and December, the industry starts to turn way down and kind of come to a, a, yeah. a halt. So I try the, not to plan too yeah. much in terms of shows around you know, the holidays. And so for the near future, i.e. for November and December, I'll probably just try to write a lot more mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, turn the clock, you know, turn the clock off and turn the alarms off and just kind of, you know, go to sleep and just kind of hang out and enjoy it a little Hibernate. bit of the, of the winter time. But certainly things are gearing up for 2019, uh, in the early winter and spring, and then, uh, new single on Spotify and there's always music out avail- and available. So you just can check me out on Instagram, um, at Stephen B music, Stephen with the PH. <laughs> Um, I, I'm always posting things and always talking about new shows and always announcing stuff. So it's, you can always catch me there and see a lot, a lot more information. There. And your website is www.stephenbabcockmusic.com. Well done, very good. <laughs> yeah, it was a radio voice there, Stephen. It was brilliant. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us. Absolutely, uh, anytime. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully, we can invite you back for another songwriting circle. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. I would love that. 
Um, Stephen Babcock, thank you very much. Anytime, thanks so much. Stephen Babcock there and his song 5A. You can stay up to date with Stephen on Instagram at Stephen B Music. And of course, we are also on Instagram. We are at New York Artists Collective. Uh, you can also follow me. I am at Stephanie Manns um, if you're terribly interested in what I do. Um, and next week on this next one's about, I will be talking to Eli Lev, who's uh, based in DC, but plays, plays a lot of shows up here. And we're looking forward to having him in one of our songwriters rounds fairly soon. So if you haven't already, subscribe to our little podcast, NY Artists Collective, on the iTunes app. I'm Stephanie Manns. See you next time. New York Artists Collective.